Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect. Perfectly, Perfectly healthy, healthy and tone tone radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, because I help you become perfectly healthy and tone and conscious, of course. This episode is being brought to you by PerfectlyHealthyAndTone.com. Today's episode is number 162 with Nadine Artemis on her book, Holistic Dentistry, The Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth and Gums. Before I get into saying a little bit more about the podcast, as always, I wanted to give you a reminder to go back to listen to the previous podcast podcast episode 161 with Noel Dayton entitled The A to Z on CBD Oil. Man, I had a lot of questions for Noel on that podcast and she knocked down a lot of misconceptions I had about CBD oil, such as will it get me high? Will it show up on a drug test? Is it liquid marijuana? So Noel and I went over a lot of the details behind CBD oil and why you're seeing it popping up everywhere, but a lot of people don't know a whole lot about it. So I would suggest you go back and listen to that episode. It's getting a lot of airplay right now and a lot of people are wanting to know what's the craziness behind this CBD oil. Now, getting into today's episode with Nadine Artemis, we are talking about holistic dentistry. I know for me, I have a triple whammy. I had braces, I have a crown, and I also had a root canal when I was a teenager. So for me, again, this is a triple whammy, and I found that out on this podcast. But Nadine goes over a lot of things that you may not know about your teeth. We tackled a lot of issues on these this particular podcast with regards to braces, how you should brush your teeth. What does it mean when your toothbrush bristles are actually worn out? Does not mean that you should go and, and change your toothbrush. It actually means something totally different. So there are a lot of nuggets on this podcast and I really enjoyed interviewing Nadine because she again goes into a lot of great detail and she does a great amount of explaining on this podcast of how to really take care of your teeth and have good oral hygiene. So without further ado, let me get into Nadine's bio. So here's Nadine's bio. Nadine Artemis is the creator of Living Libations, an exquisite line of serums, elixirs, and essential oils for those seeking the purest botanical health and beauty products on the planet. She is a frequent commentator on health and beauty for media outlets, and her products have received rave reviews in the New York Times, the National Post, and the Hollywood Reporter. Nadine's new paradigm for beauty and her natural approach to health presents a revolutionary vision. It allows a life force of flowers, dewdrops, plants, sun, and water to be the ingredients of healthy living and lets everything unessential, contrived, and artificial fall away. Coming up on episode number 162 with Nadine Artemis on her book, Holistic Dentistry, The Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth 
and gums. Here's what you're going to learn. How long does it take for nutrients to reach the teeth from the stomach? What is dential length fluid? Where does teeth whiteness come from? I know a lot of people think that bleaching their teeth is the way to go, but Nadine gives an excellent explanation of where true teeth whiteness needs to come from. Why do people with diabetes have more dental issues? What risks do braces pose? I know for me, I wore braces for about a year and I wasn't aware of the risk until I did this podcast. When your toothbrush bristles are worn, what does it really mean? For me, it always meant that I should get another toothbrush. But Nadine goes over why there's a deeper meaning to this. And as a bonus, why sugar isn't the cause of cavities, but what sugar really does to our bodies. So relax, sit back, and enjoy the podcast. Don't forget about the Somaderm Gel, the homeopathic HGH gel that helps you with the symptoms of getting a bit older. I've been using the gel for a while now and I can tell you that it's worked for me and I know it's working for a lot of other people. To learn more about this HGH homeopathic gel, go to longevitygel.com. Nadine Artemis, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you this evening? I'm well. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you for being a guest. What I normally do with every guest is ask them how they got started on their wellness journey. And I'm going to ask you that question because it seems like we either come through two ways. We're just very, very interested in health or something may have happened to us to put us on that trail, that journey of health. So how did you get started? I'm kind of both, but in a subtle way. I would say it really came together for me when I was 18 and I had just moved out of the family home to go to university. So I was living on my own, had my own kitchen, had my own place. And that was just really great for me because I could explore all kinds of foods and different things. So there was that. And then up until that point, though, I, well, and I still am, I just have a sensitivity that navigates me through life. So even before 18, you know, I would try something or do something and then just be like, that doesn't work for me, you know, like drinking coffee to write some exams, but then going, hey, that doesn't really work for me. I feel funny afterwards. Even with, you know, experimenting with teenage smoking, I was like, hey, but I ultimately doesn't make me feel good. And so I feel like that's been a great guideline for me. And then when I get to 18 and I'm exploring different foods, um, actually one reason why it happened was because I was skipping school and then I was watching a, a show and it was actually Donahue's this is back in the 90s. And he had on Lisa Bonet and Raul Julia and John Robbins talking about diet for a new America. And at that time, I'd heard of vegetarian, but I'd never heard of like vegan and not eating dairy. And besides that, it was just really like putting together food and the environment and food and health. And so that I found fascinating. And then it, it led me to really look at the labels of the things that I was buying. And it was all within about a month that I started to really understand this. And then I never ate processed food again. And I always ate organic, like after this sort of month journey. And I also, on my little, in that little home I had at university, which was this little cottage in the back of somebody's property. It was just tiny, but it was great. But on my way home every day, I would pass a little health food store called Grains and Beans and Things. And it was like in a house. It was really small, but I bought every book in there. 
and that really opened things up. And then there was a farmer's market in that community with lots of organic stuff. And at that books, at the health food store, there was books on like how to read every label in the supermarket. And that was fascinating. It was really thick. I think it was Nikki and David Goldbeck. There was that book and it really just walked you through. So then what, you know, my mom never let us eat like Fruit Loops and stuff growing up, but then you realize that those other cereals, like mm-hmm. all brand are just so toxic and you really learn how to look at those labels and that a can of soup might have like cheese in it, which would have like other ingredients that aren't listed on the label. And then that brought me to understanding body care products and really looking at those labels and then just seeing, wow, <laughs> nothing that we're generally buying is real. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I wanted to ask you this because it kind of struck me when you were talking and I know my journey. I, I was the guy that ate Fruit Loops. I've had Fruit Loops, Sugar Pops, all every cereal you can imagine growing up. <laughs> but um, I remember when I started to make that foray into getting into more organic foods and getting away from processed foods, I actually ended up doing it little by little. And what I, what I feel with a lot of people is they get a bit overwhelmed because they're trying to make so many changes in so many areas so quickly. But I wanted to just get your, your uh, experience in that. Were you making the changes gradually or were you just like, Hey, I want to change this and I'm going to change everything at one time. Yeah, that was more me. I feel like when I hear the truth of something for myself, when I discover that, then I'm just in, I'm a maximizer. I like to optimize and then I get really hardcore. So that was easy for me. I'm like, great, I'll experiment with that. And then I did a deep dive and I literally with, you know, in that month changed totally how I ate. And then I started making my own skincare and body care products. You know, and also this book, How to Get Well, which was written by a European naturopath. Can't remember his name. I think it was Pavo Ariola. It's a classic book. And, you know, so I was really able to understand all like all those little things that we get with our body that maybe I would have sort of gone to the doctor for, you know, your mom takes you, oh, I have a stomach ache or you have a lot of sushi takes you there. You know what I mean? So those kind of things are like, oh, I have a headache and where she might be like, here's an aspirin. But then it was so good to get this book and just look up all those small things that we are challenged with like a headache or a stomach ache and then just see, wow, there's a whole other world of, op- of, of options out there. Or maybe that's happening because there's constipation or, you know, learning about gut health. So that was amazing. But then what I found, because uh, I really dove in as I was also doing my university studies, which I started to making them relate because it was the only way I could get more excitement in them. So if we were doing he- like we would do, I would work on things with health or midwifery or, you know what I mean? So it's starting to relate the things that I was interested in. But where I did find a gap in all that I was researching was with dentistry mm-hmm. and what to do on a daily level to take care of the mouth. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about, your book, Holistic Dental Care, and really getting into your book and, and researching for the interview this evening. What I found, I always read forewords. I always read introductions before I get into the book because that's, to me, that's where you can find a lot of good questions. And in totally. your beginning of your introduction, you said that you never kind of made that correlation in the mouth was separate. The mouth wasn't a separate thing from the body, that it all kind of goes together. And I think for me and for others out there that might be listening to the podcast, we tend to think our mouth is so separate from the body. But what made you change that, that insight of that, that experience of the mouth just being completely with the body and not something that's totally separate. Yeah. So I saw that it was starting to be connected just through really understanding that like, as I was just sort of seeing like, Oh, everything's connected. And if you have a headache, it could be from 
you know, something going on with your gut. So is that understanding the connection? And then also it wasn't just set because it seemed like, right, once you get those adult teeth and then that's sort of it, like almost like they're just stones in your mouth and they're not alive. So when I started to understand that every part of our body is alive and has potential to replenish or regenerate like a skin cell, I'm not saying that we can grow a new tooth, but you know what I mean? That there's regenerative stuff, that the teeth are alive, that there's cells in there, that the enamel can regenerate, that the gums can, gum tissue can regenerate. So it was really just seeing that whole thing because that whole journey of the food and everything really made me understand that everything in our body is connected and that, you know, toxic lotion that we're putting on our skin will absorb transdermally. So even, I think even we have this disconnection even with our skin in the same way that we have this disconnection with our mouth. You mentioned two people in the book, and I remember when I started my own journey of really changing a lot of things, the first thing I started changing was the way that I brushed my teeth. And I remember really going after products that I felt were better for my teeth because when you're growing up, you really think that toothpaste is the end all, the be all. And that's how we yeah. raised. And most of us are still using the same toothpaste that our parents use. I remember for me, it was Colgate and that's what my mom bought. Before that, it was Crest. Yeah, and, that was it. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. And then when I finally got into really looking to change my dental routine, I remember getting into, I believe the gentleman's name and you had him in his book, Robert Nera. Yeah. I remember looking up some stuff online and I immediately started ordering these little containers full of bacon soda and salt. And they had, (laughs) they had the peppermint oil already in there. And I remember brushing my teeth for the, for the first time. And since then I've kind of graduated towards Browner Brothers soap and really uh, brushing with soap, which was a a unique experience in my, in itself. But let's go back to kind of understanding a tooth because like you said before, I think that people think a tooth is just this dead thing that's uh, that's in their mouth, but the, a tooth is actually living. Explain explain that. Yes, that's very key to really understanding everything. And it's not like every dentist actually knows this, which is the surprising thing. And this little nugget came out at me. I was reading everything that I could find from Hal Huggins, who is a very uh, maverick dentist that's been mm-hmm. telling us about mercury since 1963. And he's written lots of books. Some of them are just really unique. He's a very neat character. And one was called Why Raise Ugly Kids, which <laughs> that's is a unique title. You know, that's, he's got that kind of sense of humor. So there's one chapter in there about teeth. And he talks about meeting Dr. Ralph Steinman. And he says all that he knew about dentistry got washed like a sandcastle on the seashore. And what he explained was, and there was only one sentence in this book. And then I, luckily then there's the internet. And it was, uh, he talked about there's a dentineal lymph system. So there's like a whole new layer to understanding that our teeth are alive. And so from that book, I go deep into Dr. Ralph Steinman's book. And there wasn't much when I was first starting doing my research, but by the time my book was published, there was actually, there's a whole book of all of his studies that are uh, published and you can get that on Amazon. And And anyway, so he's a dentist and it's like the 1950s and he's getting a lot of allergies. So he has to actually shut down his practice every August because he can't perform. And he starts learning about, like somebody just said, well, don't eat, you know, the white food, like white bread, white sugar, white flour. I guess that's bread, that kind of stuff. And he did and it cleared up so that he could actually practice. So he was amazed about that. But then that made him really go into dentist uh, dental research rather than a practice 
And he did later early like research that led him to books and different theories, even from the 1800s that talked about a systemic connection with the teeth and the body, which systemic meaning it's all connected. And then he traced the history to really in the 40s, there was both thoughts that there was an acid that would cause cavities like acid, like which is an acidogenic, acidogenic theory that things like Coca-Cola, I don't I'm not saying like Coca-Cola per se, but like acid things and sugary things would cause cavities. And then there was another theory that it was systemic. And so it would be related to different internal mechanisms in the body. But in the, in the forties, it was just decided by the, um, American dental school. And I'm not sure if that's the official name, uh, but the dental school, the official one, they would talk about, uh, they said, okay, it's just, we're going to focus on the acidogenic theory and that's going to be the official theory. And, you know, there's, there's nuggets of wisdom to that, but it, it kind of left behind this whole systemic theory, which is probably why you and I raised, were kind of grew up thinking that it's not connected to our bodies. So long story short, with Dr. Steinman, he goes and he just does research at Loma Linda University and he does hundreds of studies and he, he does stuff with dental x-rays and they use rats because apparently they have a close, close tooth cycle to our own. And what is understood is that when we chew food, we activate different enzymes and substrates that in the, by the parotid gland, which are by the jaw, and they activate the hypothalamus, and then this sends chemical messages throughout the body, and then the nutrients go throughout our body. And so when he used the x-ray fluid, what he saw is that from it takes an hour, sorry, it takes six minutes for the nutrients to go from our stomach up to the beginning of our teeth to the gum area. But then it takes an hour for that to get up from the roots into the tooth, which is just really interesting. And that was all seen with the, this x-ray dye. And so what happens is we have this dentineal lymph fluid. So the nutrients are in the blood system, but then they, when they get to the root system and up into the dentin, which is the middle chamber of the tooth in the pulp chamber, which is sort of where all the nutrients coalesce. And in there, the blood nutrients turn into a, a clear lymphatic fluid and it goes up into the tooth, kind of like tr a tree draws sap up into the tooth. And in a centrifugal fashion, it goes up into the pulp chamber, into the odontoblast, which then pump it up out onto the surface of the teeth. So it's going out onto the teeth. And it's like this microscopic sweat that then coalesces with our enamel. And it goes, you know, if there's an area of the mouth that's sort of more in danger or cavities forming there, it will send out more to that area in hopes to rebalance. And then, so it's like this nourishment goes up, out, and into the tooth. So our teeth are really fed from the inside. Now, when something go, when we have things in our body that become imbalanced and we're eating, so it's about our, we can damage our teeth by eating a diet high in sugar, but it's not necessarily the sugar on our teeth. It's the sugar causing the chemical reactions in our body. And so when that happens or there's hormonal stress or different or lack of nutrients, what happens is instead of the teeth drawing up this fluid, the tooth becomes like a straw and this, this dentineal fluid reverses and then we suck in from our mouth. We suck in the stuff that we don't want like bacteria and viruses and fungus. And then we draw that into the tooth. And that and causes that is, 
That's the genesis of the cavity. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was just going to ask you. That's, that's how the cavity gets started. Yeah. I listened to a podcast many years ago. This is way before I had my own. And I remember sitting, listening to it. And on that particular podcast, there was a gentleman and don't remember his name, but he was talking about the health of the mouth and how you can predict the health of the individual by looking at their tooth. And I found it really crazy that they were able to see if a person had cancer or not just by looking at their teeth. Is it fair to say that looking at the teeth is kind of the gateway to seeing the health of the body? Well, like looking at it, or but sometimes it could be stuff you can't see. So it would really be like, understand, you know, like if you have a really cool dentist or doctor that, you know, then they go, oh yeah, well, you've got a root canal here. You've got a jaw cavitation there. And you know what I mean? So it might take more than just a quick look. But I even think even with like um, different odors coming out of the mouth too, I think a really in tuned health practitioner would also be able to, to glean data from that on the person's health. Yeah, they were actually, now that you said that, they were actually talking about root canals and the danger of root canals, which I, I guess we can tackle that now because I mm -hmm. actually have a root canal that I had done way, way back when I was a kid. I think I was maybe 12, 13 years old mm -hmm. and I had it done. But go over what a root canal is and what dangers that they might they might pose. Sure. Do you still have that root canal? I do. And what I want to ask you that I did not get a chance to ask uh, Dr. Judine when I had her show was the fact that can these things be reversed? What's the best best angle to kind of uh, take care of? For sure. Yeah, we'll totally get into that. So theoretically, a root canal seems like a good idea. But clinically, it is really a bit of a bacterial horror story. Because what's going on is a dead tooth is remaining in the mouth. And it becomes an incubator of infection a sort of like bacterial breeding ground, 100% of the time. And so this oxygen-starved, stagnant tooth actually becomes a haven for the harmful microbes. So really the whole goal of a root canal and why they were invented is to have a non-infected, sterile tooth in the mouth. But in reality, the exact opposite's created. So what's fast, because it's like, oh, you know, apparently, you know, so what, what a root canal actually does is it's a procedure for an infected tooth that kills the tooth by removing the internal structure. So remember, we talked about that pulp changer, but, uh, sorry, the pulp chamber and the dentin. Yes. So all of that's removed out of the tooth, the nerves, the pulp tissue, and the blood vessels. And then the hollowed out tooth is rinsed, usually filled with a latex and a cement, and then it's topped with a crown. So the purpose of a root canal is to just like hermetically seal that tooth and then save the, the tooth cosmetically and save the chewing surface. So it seems like a good idea because you still, then you don't have to have like a fake tooth. But what's happening is that each tooth, well, a molar is going to have more than a, than a front tooth, but each tooth contains approximately three miles of microscopic dentin tubules that are impossible to sterilize. So isn't that amazing? Each yeah, tooth yeah. contains three miles of microscopic tubes. You don't think um, about it because you have these things just sitting in your mouth. So yeah, it's hard to visualize that. Totally. And every time I think, like every time I say that stat, I'm always like, really? It's three miles, not three meters, you know? But it really is three miles. And so with the blood vessels removed, 
antibiotics nor white blood cells can actually reach that area to fight the infection. And every time a root, root, root canal, a root canal tooth is used to chew, then bacterial toxins are squirted into the bloodstream. And then these toxins flow from the anaerobic effect, infection, and then it can spread to gums or the ligaments or the jawbone. And because the nerve tissue is gone from that tooth as well, there's going to be no pain indicating any infection. And so that's the danger to that. Now, one of my favorite dentists, um, Dr. Stuart Nunnally in Texas, He's a very pioneering and highly respected biological dentist. He did an independent test on root canal teeth. And to qualify, the teeth had to be symptom-free and show zero signs of pathology on an x-ray. So they had to be like textbook perfect, and they had to be causing that person no issues. So they weren't like, oh, my root canal hurts. It was just like, yeah, I'm really happy with my root canal. And so what they discovered is that 100% of those root canal teeth were they were textbook perfect but the lab tests revealed that each tooth harbored severe toxic pathogens hmm. and it was you know strange stuff from like syphilis to lyme to epstein barr virus so all kinds of viruses and so that kind of that information hasn't really permeated everybody's dental practice yet but this the studies are there and i have it quoted in my book as well that that stress uh, that that test and so that's really good to know now of course if you have a root canal tooth and you're listening right now you could be like oh that's obviously a bit unnerving to hear that so it's important to know that although root canals become focal infections that feed anaerobic bacteria 100 percent of the time it doesn't mean all root canals are causing systemic health issues because of course it matters on epigenetics and your current health but you know it could be kind of taking your immune system down or if you do have an autoimmune kind of issue, it could be the root cause. Hmm. And so, you know, if you do have an autoimmune issue or something, then you definitely, I would explore having it removed. And if you're really, you know, I'm sure you're pretty healthy, but I do think it's something you may want to think about removing. And if it's, if it's a front tooth, it's a really hard decision. But if it's a back molar, you're, you're, you can just have it removed and, you know, you don't even need to replace it. You can just have that space in your, in your jaw. And from the dentist that I talked to, they're like, everything's going to be okay. It's a bit of a myth that your, that your, that your face is going to change or, or sort of cave in. So that's something you can do. But the thing too is if you're getting it removed, you've got to go to a proper biological dentist because you're going to want to have it removed properly, which includes removing the periodontal ligament. And that is not normal procedure when teeth are removed, including wisdom teeth. So that's very important because if the periodontal ligament is left over, that can cause, because what happens is then the gum grows over that and then 10, 20 years down the line, you could have jaw cavitation, which is essentially like a jaw rot. It's this cavity in your jaw. So that's very important. Plus when you get the, I mean, sorry, the root canal tooth out, you want to be working with a dentist that also has the platelet therapy and ozone therapy. So ozone therapy will be where they'll inject that area with fresh ozone mm -hmm. to clean it out. And then the platelet blood, the platelet therapy is one of the names is PRP. And that's where they remove a couple of vials of blood. And then they put it in a blood separator. And then you, you, at the end of it, you have this test tube of this golden rich plasma from your own blood. And then that will get injected into the site where that will, you know, activate your own stem cells and your, and bring nutrients to heal that area. And it really 
it keeps working for, you know, about three to four months. So it, the area gets stronger. Yeah, that sounds very similar to, um, I, I played basketball. I'm six, seven, and it sounds wow. very similar to what they did with Kobe Bryant years ago. He had something wrong with his Achilles and he took blood out of his, his body. Yeah. And injected it's blood a back great, in. yeah. 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 He had to go it's to a great Germany sports for it. Thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's pretty common now. Apparently it's even done for like cosmetic things instead of Botox. It's called like, I believe it's called a vampire facial because it's using your own plasma. <laughs> yeah. um, but in sports uh, clinics, it's very widely available now for like shoulder and knee injuries and stuff. Right. So maybe Kobe was like one of the first to try. Right, right. I think he went to Germany for that. Going back, your book kind of shattered a lot of myths, so to speak. One of the things I wanted to ask, and I think you may have mentioned it earlier on, was the fact of sugar that I was always taught growing up in school when I was a young kid that if you eat some candy, you immediately need to brush your teeth. But yeah. re reading your book was, it is it necessary the sugar? It might be more something else that's causing the cavities. And also, this is the first I've heard, ever heard of this through reading your book and researching for the show, was the fact that you're actually doing yourself a disservice if you brush directly after after eating. So tackle those two things and kind of straighten those out for us. Yeah, well, the teeth, you know, they're much stronger than just uh, being vulnerable to sugar on the teeth. And so, you know, that's important to know. And also when we're, we could have just eaten things that are sort of more acidic, which is fine, but the sort of rusting phase of the mouth is it should be alkaline. And so if you've just been eating acid things, then you're just sort of stirring that around and then you're brushing in a non-alkaline environment. So if you really need to brush your teeth after a meal, then I would do a rinse with a baking soda water first. So you're setting the stage and getting everything really alkaline. But it is good to wait about half an hour before you brush your teeth after a meal. The reason why sugar is an issue is because of the chemical changes it makes in the body. And so, you know, by having a lot of blood sugar, if we have spiked blood sugar levels, then we're affecting some mineral levels with phosphorus, sorry, yeah, phosphorus. And we're throwing off our absorption of minerals when we have a diet that's just high in sugar and not high in minerals and nutrients. So we need things like vitamin D3, K2. These are fat soluble vitamins that usher minerals like calcium and magnesium into the bones. So if we don't have those vitamins in our body, then the, the minerals that we want in our bones just sort of circulate in our bloodstream. And so that's, yeah, that's the main reason why sugar is bad is because the inf inflammatory spikes and the spikes in blood sugar. Let, let me ask you this, because uh, it just came to mind. And that's, I remember in the book, you talked about having high blood sugar. And one of the things that I don't have much experience with this, and maybe you do because you, you had a book and you probably have people ask you questions all the time, <laughs> but, but diabetics, diabetics in general, do they have, seem to have a lot of issues with their teeth because they have this, this high blood sugar, high insulin. And also what I've heard from a lot of people who are vegetarian, vegan is that they, they seem to get a lot of cavities. So why, why answer the first question mm -hmm. about diabetes and then move into the, the vegan vegetarian thing and why that might happen? Yeah, there's a few kind of correlations with diabetes because of, you know, the obvious blood sugar levels, uh, cause there's like a different balance in the body. And interestingly enough, there's other correlations like a mother that's really depleted in vitamin D that can create things like juvenile diabetes in a child. And, um, what we do know is that sunshine and the sunshine vitamin, vitamin D3 are so essential for bone growth. 
you know, at the turn of the century, uh, not the turn, maybe like the 1920s and 1930s, you know, there was the studies coming out with vitamin D. Um, and I have those studies in my book, which just were showing like if, if people had sufficient vitamin D, they weren't getting rickets, which is a bone disease, things like arthritis and cavities is, you know, is, that is a, a, it's like a, it's an infection in the teeth. And so we do need proper nutrients for that. And also Dr. Weston Price was able to confirm through his testing and studies and traveling around the world and looking at different diets that we need vitamin K2 and E3, which also relates to the, to the vegan thing. And yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, vegan teeth up close especially in children. And, you know, I don't think, I think, you know, and I totally get vegan and I did it for a long time and mm -hmm. I really get it. So, cause I, right. Cause I'm getting it from a health angle. I'm getting it from the animal level right. and a spiritual level. But you know, when I, when I started to go into uh, reproducing and breastfeeding and all that, that was when I really had to come and going into my dental research that all kind of happened at once. And I, you know, just, came to realize that, you know, children and women that are reproducing and children that are growing, we definitely need more than the vegan diet. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a good diet for, for moments, but I'm not sure if we can definitely do it from birth to death. And, um, because of the, but, but also if you choose to do that, there are definitely now we've got the vitamins and we know, you know, you can supplement. So that's the good part, but we really, really need to make sure that we're getting the proper minerals and the K2 and the D3. We need phosphorus, we need magnesium, we need calcium, and we need those fat-soluble vitamins, which aren't naturally going to be found in a vegan diet. Because, mm -hmm. um, But you can buy the supplement, and it is made from uh, fermented soy generally. And really, as a nation, we're D3 depleted. We've been ignoring the sun, and we really want to get the sunshine in. And we also have to know that if we're feeling a little shy about the sun and thinking we can just take vitamin D supplements our whole life, we can't totally do that because our skin is, is, has a relationship. Our skin's been designed to be exposed to the sun's rays. And that's where we convert this, uh, I like to call it this sort of, uh, liquid sunshine into a nutrient for our body. But what's produced is a water soluble vitamin C, I mean D, that has, um, important cholesterols for our body but the d3 supplements are fat soluble so we really need literal sunshine to prevent cavities as well yeah if anybody's out there listening i live in south florida i get enough you can come, <laughs> you can come down here and get plenty i get too much i think sometimes i'll come in january <laughs> oh you're you're usually here you come to florida no well usually or california or something we try oh, and get out for okay. like a few weeks one thing that yeah. I saw in your book, you mentioned we were just talking about vegan and vegetarian diets. In your book, you talk about that uh, uh, that type of, and usually with vegan, vegetarian, it's a kind of a grain-based diet, a plant diet. Yes, that's the and, other issue. And yeah, thanks and, for reminding me. And I, I saw in the book where there were studies done on this and the grain really that the grain was detrimental to the teeth. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. So another issue for keeping our teeth really healthy is to really look at our phytic acid intake. So phytic acid is like an anti-nutrient. So we'll actually inhibit other nutrients in the body. And so, yeah, a, a vegan diet can be very much like, you know, you know, lentils for lunch and rice for dinner and like oats for breakfast. So you can, you can end up having a lot of uh, grains, beans, legumes, that kind of thing. 
And so the phytic acid literally inhibits phosphorus in our bodies. And when we look at the research of Dr. Melvin Page, he was able to confirm that, um, that once the phosphorus blood levels drop below 3.5, cavities begin to form. And then we see, you know, then that backs up the work of Dr. Ralph Steinem, who showed that um, we could we could help the reversal of the uh, of that dentineal lymph fluid by just adding some new, uh, some minerals back into the diet. People were still eating not the best diet, but they really made sure they got their minerals back in. And then we layer on top of that the Western price information about K2 and D3, and we have a really nice picture of what our bodies need. So back to the lentils and that kind of thing. First of all, you know, you really want to look at soaking, you know, soaking the grains, but we really understand a lot more about lectins and gluten. So, you know, if you do have a gluten uh, sensitivity or lectin, which is sort of the new gluten and, and not as many people know that about that right now, but those could all be inhibiting nutrients getting to your teeth. And so you really want to look at that if you're having teeth issues. What I do see with um, people, some people and people that are on a vegan diet, sometimes what I see is really gray, glassy teeth. And that's often a, uh, a sign that the, the minerals and the fat-soluble vitamins aren't getting to that pulp chamber. And so what's good for people to understand too is that whiteness, tooth whiteness, comes from within the body. So enamel is actually like a clear, glossy, like a kind of like a window. And then it's the pulp chamber, the health of that dentin, the core of the tooth. If it's like, I think of it like fat and, you know, fat with fat soluble vitamins so to speak then that then you'll have white teeth and so when you get that translucent tooth looking sort of gray then you need more nutrients and minerals from the inside it's not really about bleaching the teeth yeah teeth which is a whole other issue yeah these are actually telling us something this brings to mind another question as we talk about grains because you mentioned kids in the book and what I kind of put together in my head was a lot of times what happens is kids are raised on cereal, which is, you know, mm -hmm. these, these cereal. Uh, yeah, the first food it's recommended Yeah, for little six months old. Yeah, Gerber <laughs> and stuff like that. But is this setting a child up to have some type of teeth issues later on in life when their teeth come in or? Well, it may not for everybody. It also depends, like, what generation are you coming from? Like, you know, I'm kind of like got a few generations of weak European teeth right, from, the, mm -hmm. from the jams and stuff. So, uh, you know, it sort of, sort of depends on the constitution. But, you know, cereal is not even a, a food group. But anyway, <laughs> yes, the issue is, too, like a cereal, a grain is very carbohydrate. So that's another thing we want to think about is that, you know, it also can spike blood sugar levels because it's like a, a carbohydrate. So it's like a sugar. It's like a glucose fueling the body. And so when you start out with things like grains, you're also setting up the child to sort of have a taste for that. And that can be hard to get, you know, then it's sort of like all just uh, can be grains and more sugar and fruits rather than more fat and protein with the fruit. So you want to have that balance. And it's important. I mean, when kids are exposed to those other foods, they love them too. But I feel like grains, they can be a bit empty. 
Is there anything that can get kids a brush? I know a lot of people listening to this podcast oh, no. might have kids. Well, I mean, you have kids. What yeah. did you use to get them the brush? Because it seems I had a nephew. I don't have any kids, but I had a nephew. And I remember my sister would constantly be on, hey, go brush your teeth, go brush your teeth. They don't seem like they want to brush. And then if you're taking away these good tasting toothpastes from them, how do you actually get them brushed? <laughs> well, you know, I, I haven't totally figured that out. And I do, <laughs> I, in my book, I do call it like, it's like herding chipmunks trying yeah. to get the kids to brush their teeth. Um, yeah, we do all kinds of things. I don't, you know, I wasn't that motivated to brush my teeth when I was a kid. Uh, I don't think my son's that motivated either, but we just, you know, we set up things, we set up the time, uh, we try and make it interesting. The neat, there was a, one neat trick, which is fun which is kind of a science experiment you can do in your mouth, is you brush first with baking soda, spit that out, and then you get a nice coating all over the teeth. Then you take like a t half a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, put that in the mouth. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, and it all foams up. <clears throat> and um, it's really great for lifting plaque off the mouth. I also think, you know, kids, even if they do brush their teeth, they're not, it's not like they're that skilled and they're getting every area. So the, that's the other thing. It's just, there could be brushing, but I don't think they're that skilled. So you want to do other things like swishing. So, you know, doing that baking soda water swish is great because it's going to be removing food particles. It's alkalinizing the mouth. It's like doing a lot of the job. And then you could also, um, do oil swishing afterwards, which is like oil pulling. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of add a flavor to that if you want. And then those are things that they're doing for their mouth that are really going to get into all the crevices where they just don't have the skill set to really properly floss. Yeah, you mentioned in your book as well, and this kind of takes, a you know, going off of kids, but you mentioned to just brush your teeth in different places. I think a lot of times we're mm -hmm. like drones. Because I remember yes. the, the first time I brushed my teeth in the shower, I think I was out of college. It was my first job. Other <laughs> yeah. than that, I always had time to you know, sit in front of the mirror and sit there and brush my teeth. And then, you know, you're running late for work and you're like, okay, well, how can I compound this and, and yes. do two things at <laughs> Multitask. once? Multitask. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I can brush my teeth in the shower, which is half the time is what I'm doing anyway. But I thought that that was cool that you might mention just experiencing it from a different angle. So yeah. I thought it was really good. I have a triple whammy. From reading your book, I realized that I had braces I have mm -hmm. a root canal and I also have a crown in my mouth. And you talk about braces in the book a little bit. And I think we, we, for some reason in society, we tend to think that a dentist always knows what's best for us. And we just go mm -hmm. and we sit in a chair and we get drilled and filled and we get up. But having braces poses some significant risks. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes, I did a little, I did a whole chapter on that in the book because it's important to address. It, uh, it actually changes the growth of the face in a way that we don't, wouldn't, we don't want it. It's like a, a vertical growth, sort of making a longer face. Uh, and other things that can change the, the face and also lead to a path where you think you may want braces is mouth breathing. So it's very important to know if your child's mouth breathing. It's, it's actually huge. Because they will literally grow, have a different face growing up. Uh, you can, there's YouTube, there's things about it, you know, there's like a uh, orthodontist in um, Australia, he did a YouTube, a 60, he didn't do a YouTube, he did a thing on 60 Minutes and then it was put onto YouTube. Um, 
So you could look that up um, just to see the changes in the growth of the face. So like mouth breathing, you know, is, is your child uh, got a, a, a gluten issue or a dairy issue? You know, is there something that's making them congested, but they don't really have a cold? So you want to look into those things and get mouth breathing going. I mean, yeah, sorry, nose breathing. So that could be one thing. But yeah, uh, braces change how our faces grow. There's an exposure to nickel, which is one of the most carcinogenic metals. And it also uh, is not good for the enamel or the gum line. And um, there are other alternatives or other, there's other types of orthodontistry. There is a orthotropics is a website and that's a whole other way of realigning the mouth that doesn't involve braces. Yeah, I was going to ask about what an alternative is because I think a lot of times we just gravitate to what's always been done. Yeah, it's what, just there. What's it was your, so classic for everybody in my town to just get braces. It's yeah, like you, you still what see you it did. now. It was like coming of age. <laughs> what is your uh, opinion on, I, I think now, every every time I'm on Facebook, there's an ad for these uh, Visaligners. What, what is your opinion on those? Yeah, you know, I haven't checked them out too much, but from what I understand, it is it is a kinder, gentler brace, but I haven't done a full deep dive into it. Okay, yeah, I just was interested in knowing because I seem like they pop up, and I thought about doing it again. I had braces for probably a year, and I got out of the braces, and then they gave me a retainer, and the retainer was just like the Visaligners. This was like really plastic, and I kept yeah. breaking them, and I would go in there like, oh, $150. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? This thing is, uh-huh. I can make this myself. And I stopped wearing my retainers, and the spaces came back, so I thought about doing uh-huh. that to start out with Well, check out. out the Orthotropics because they have things for adults, too. Okay, I will check that out. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in your book, again, was talking about, and I noticed it a couple of different times. I think that you love essential oils. I like them too. And you were, <laughs> you mentioned it quite, I was like, wow, she might, she really likes essential oils. But what is the benefit of using essential oils? I noticed you say, hey, put a drop when you're flossing, put a drop here, put a drop when you're brushing. What's the benefit to using essential oils in your oral routine? Yes, as long as they are authentic and genuine essential oils, then they can have a lot of benefits. But again, you just want to use them by the drop. So I make a number of different dental serums and they're really potent. And they all have, you know, they're all sort of essential oil based with some other things like neem oil or sea buckthorn oil. And you can also add those to, you know, baking soda or sea salt. And I think there's even recipes in the book for different toothpaste that you can make. I also have a new book out called Renegade Beauty. And I just want to say there's a whole dental chapter in there. And there's more update even with the mouse microbiome and that kind of thing. The reason why essential oils are just so great And now it's so fun because we have so much scientific study showing us why these plants and these extractions have been used for thousands of years. So what people, now science is confirming what people knew intuitively. So generally speaking, most all essential oils are antifungal, antibacterial, and antiviral. So those are good things to have in the mouth because it's like we're dealing with the bacteria and the biofilms and pathogenic bacteria. So... That's what's great. They can really help to be voluntary, speed up healing. They can help bring back the elasticity and the life to gum tissue. They can, you put them along the floss, so you're getting in between those teeth and getting those, you know, it really helps people with bleeding gums. I have some people that will floss with the oils and then their bleeding gums literally are gone within 24 hours because they really help to strengthen the tissue. 
For some people, it might take a couple of weeks, but people's mouths have turned around overnight. And so also what we know now about some of these essential oils is they're really good at quor their quorum sensing inhibitors, QSI, which we now know because of all the study with the microbiome and because of antibiotic resistance, scientists and researchers are looking for things that inhibit quorum sensing. Quorum sensing is what pathogens do uh, they're in the body so we have our good bacteria and then we have pathogenic bacteria hopefully you've got more good bacteria than pathogens and then when the pathogens start gaining traction and gaining numbers they start to pull together and they start uh, sort of ganging up and then they're able to do more and so how they start to communicate in numbers is with quorum sensing and so it shows that essential oils are able to inhibit this communication and this gene expression. Clove oil, for example, is a QSI with effectivity of about 74%. And, you know, that's we can see why cinnamon, tea tree, frankincense, rose, cardamom, neem are all really good, good friends, good allies for taking care of our mouth. They're able to clean up the bad bacteria while working with the good bacteria without destroying the good bacteria they're able to penetrate biofilms where some antibiotics cannot reach mm -hmm. so they're they take you can take your basic stuff you got i you know i really uh, uh encourage everybody to just ditch whatever they're using and just look for the sea salt and baking soda in your pantry and use that and your mouth will get so much better but you take those basics and then you start adding in some really pure essential oils then you know that's sort of like the 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 medicinal aspect that can really help yeah it's really wild because i remember when i was in the pharma industry i sold antibiotics and i remember reading a study and that study was just detailing how good essential oils are with resistance resistant bacteria that mm. the bacteria can't develop a resistance to the essential oil when it's funny that the, all of these man-made pharmaceuticals they can and i experienced that when i was in the industry that there a lot of antibiotics were no longer useful and you see a lot of uh, pharmacies now giving away certain antibiotics because because they're really not all that useful because bacteria have developed resistance to them over time. But yeah, resistance and antibiotics just do this sort of indiscriminate assassination of of all the good bacteria too. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, so we've got, they're, they're losing their effectiveness and they're way too blanket. You mentioned salt and baking soda. One of the things that I remember encountering with people in baking soda a long time ago is like, hey, don't use baking soda because it, it's so, it's too abrasive. It, it yeah. scrubs your teeth. And also the whole salt thing. People have this whole fear of salt. We still have yes. this fear of salt. So why are those two things in combination so really good for the teeth? Yeah, they're good. They can be good singularly or in combination. And yeah, there is a lot of stuff around baking soda. First of all, no baking soda has aluminum in it. It's baking powder. So there's that. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, most, most holistic biological dentists are very fond of uh, baking soda. And the thing with the baking soda and the apple cider vinegar was, um, you know, quote unquote, inv invented by Dr. Paul Keyes, who wanted to prevent people from having gum surgery. He thought it very good for healing the gum line. But the very interesting thing is there is, there is actually an abra abrasivity index for toothpaste and toothpaste ingredients. So like, I can't remember the rate, like the general ratings of, but baking soda is like a seven. 
And I might not be exact, but it's like a seven. It's under 10. Tom's of Maine, like sensitive toothpaste is at a 60 or a 70. Wow. A classic kind of Colgate or Crest is like at a 170. So baking soda is just fine. <laughs> yeah. And bake, baking soda is really alkaline, Tom. Imagine that. Yes. That's yes. helping with the mouth to the alkalinity because that keeps the bacteria away when the mouth is alkaline versus being too acidic, right? Exactly. It's like such a quick alkalinizer. It's got that great little bit of like scrubbing and polishing, yet it's really fine. And it's also a substance like our body makes bicarbonate. So it's just good for us in all ways. Yeah, I'm doing, um, I buy the little, I travel a lot, so I buy the little bottle of Browner's Brothers soap and I brush with that in addition to washing with it. Nice. You could add some baking soda to that too, just to get some scrub. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried that, but you know what? I need, I probably need to try that. I'll probably need to do that. The soap, the soap thing's so cool. And I actually met that, uh, that guy, uh, Gerard. I can't remember his last name now, but I was speaking at a conference in, Arizona in the 90s and he was telling me all about the soap thing and that was before I fully got into the dentist stuff so it was really neat to get that information firsthand for anybody out there if you're listening I would you're probably going to have to get used to it because soap doesn't taste anything like I mean it's not bad but it doesn't taste like those you know Colgate or Crest or anything like that the sweet but you know if you just had like if you just took like all you just need a smidge like just a drop and then you could have a little dash of baking soda a drop of peppermint yeah, I have to put the baking soda in there. I usually use the almond Browner's Brothers soap, so it all, it has a little taste, but never thought about doing the baking soda. I have to do that. Or you could switch to the peppermint Browner's. Yeah. Real quick also, and we're getting down in time, but one of the other things I, I saw too that kind of blew my mind is one of those myth things, and it's about the toothbrush. And I always thought that when my toothbrush had the worn out bristles, that it was time for me to uh, get a, a new toothbrush. But in your book, you made me see it and perceive it in a different way. Talk about what that actually means when your, your toothbrush is worn out in the bristles. Yeah, that means you're brushing way too hard. So at the, you know, if you, so at the end of six months of using that toothbrush, you want those bristles to look like you just bought them. I mean, maybe they're kind of like, aged in another way, but you want them to be as upright as the day you bought them, not squished or or change their shape at all. You really want to brush so gently and always, always, no matter how tough you are, get the soft um, toothbrush heads. You know what? I used to use firm because I was like, oh, yeah. I'm scrubbing my guy. teeth and make them and make it <laughs> white <tall>. and make <laughs> yeah. it white. And then I was like, okay. And when, when I'm doing the soft, it feels like it's just too soft. I don't know why. <laughs> well, the baking soda should give you a nice bit of a grip, a grip. And then if you put the baking soda on a dry toothbrush, you just get a good scrubbing surface. Yeah. That's, I think that's important for me to kind of put that, that baking soda. It's really good at because what what can happen is well the teeth could be it could be like deeper level for your, the whiteness and brightness of your teeth but it could also just be like a plaque or tartar that's discolored you know so it's the the plaques getting the discoloration because you're probably you know you're eating a lot of pigment rich foods so it's not necessarily the tooth but it's that calculus or tartar that's like harder to remove and it's sort of getting stained so then the baking soda helps with that and so does the baking soda apple cider vinegar and then you could use like um a hydrogen peroxide diluted to three percent like once once or twice a month and then do a rinse afterwards with baking soda because the 
hydrogen peroxide is quite astringent and you don't want it to um, get too challenging for your gums. Yeah. Would you recommend putting your toothbrush in hydrogen peroxide? Because I know I keep yes. a toothbrush in my, my desk at work and I know I pulled it out the other day and I was like, this does not smell right. <laughs> when I rinsed it in, in hot water to try to disinfect it before I brush my teeth. But do you, do you recommend maybe, I know they have these little things. I've seen them in Whole Foods with like Dr. Tongue and you put your toothbrush in there and close yeah, it. Yeah, those I, I'm, cause I feel like the toothbrush needs air and sunlight for mm -hmm. sure. But if it's not getting air and sunlight, then definitely just put it, you know, um, heads down in a little, in a little inch of uh, diluted baking soda. I mean, bake, uh, hydrogen peroxide water. Mm -hmm. Last question, Nadine, is tongue. I think, and for a while I was neglecting and I brushed my tongue. You recommend scraping it. Is there a difference between the brushing and the scraping of the tongue? I, not, I mean, it's good to do it. I feel like the tongue, I mean, the tongue scraper is just going to get a cleaner, deeper removal of it. And then you're not going to get all those things in your brush, mm -hmm. you know. So I feel like it's it's good. You can use a spoon, an upside down spoon. Yeah. If you don't have a tongue cleaner, but it is really good. And you know, the, the dentist that wrote the forward to my book, Dr. Zines, he has a whole, um, book or is it an ebook on, on just tongue, on all the things that the tongue means. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I if the to... sides are, if what the plaque color, you know, the, the, the color on the surface or like if the sides are kind of chewed up, all those kind of stuff. It's a very, you know, based in, in traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah, I have to add that back to my routine. I know I've been brushing, but I used to have a scraper, and for some reason, I, I kind of got away from that. And I know I said last question, but one more. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> conventional toothbrushes, because I used to do a Sonicare, mm -hmm. and I went back to a conventional a conventional toothbrush. Do you have any recommendation on that? Is the, the conventional toothbrush any going to be any different from using a Sonicare? Yeah, well, in our, in our, I made eight steps. And in that eight steps, I actually have two stages of brushing. One, you, the first one, you're doing a manual brush, which is just like a basic brush, because that's like you're brushing the gums. And so you want to go from gum down on the top row or gum up on the bottom row always. And that's just a general toothbrushing tip. You don't want to go both ways. Uh, you want to just go in one direction and that's down from the gum towards the teeth. So there's that stage to really up that. I recommend an ionic toothbrush over just a regular one, which is just um, light activated and it, it ionizes the saliva, which is a good thing. And then that ionization just lifts off plaque. Studies show about 40% more plaque is just lifted off with that toothbrush without even toothpaste on it. Hmm. So it's a very good thing. And then the next stage is brushing with an electric brush which can be like the Sonicare or like I love the small round-headed ones because it's giving you a different uh, brush head to get sort of different real estate than the manual brush did. And that you're let, you're not really focusing on the gums at that point. You're focusing on the actual tooth and that's where you're really polishing them. You know, I kind of think of, I always have that image of like the janitor at the school gym. It's got that floor buffer. Yeah, yeah. And that's that stage. And that's what you're doing to the teeth. And you're just really buffing them and shining them and polishing them. And at that stage, that's where you want something a little gritty, like the baking soda or clay or charcoal. 
Yeah, I have not. I just ordered some clay. I mean, not clay, but charcoal. I'm waiting for it to get here so I can try that. And actually, I wanted to try that more for, you know, more for whitening, but just a different experience as well, just to see mm -hmm. how how it works out. But uh, yeah, you did mention clay in the book too, which I thought was kind of wild because I've never heard of clay being used. <laughs> you, I've heard it for detox, but not for actual, you know, oral care. So. Oh yeah, it's great. We have a clay toothpaste. We have a charcoal toothpaste. We have a, yeah, we make. That's yeah, I, fun making them. <laughs> I'd like to walk in your bathroom and see exactly yes. what you guys probably have it all. Yes. But uh, Nadine Artemis, your book is Holistic Dental Care, The Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth and Gums. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I know that you not only do stuff for dental care, but you do also do your own beauty products. What is your website? Please share that with the audience. Oh, sure, Darren. It's uh, livinglibations.com. Okay. And the book is available on Amazon, you know, wherever you get your outlets. I, sometimes I do Kindle. Sometimes I like the book, the standard book. But do go on, please, and pick it up. And uh, you can learn a lot from Nadine's book. I did. And I tend to think myself as a know-it-all because I do all these interviews. But I always come across something that I do not know. So, Nadine, again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.